Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Colony Drop, a Gundam podcast. My name is Brian, my co-pilot is Isaac, and this is a podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to Mobile Suit Gundam. From the anime, the movies, the models, the food, you name it, it's all fair game. On this week's episode, we conclude our review of the 1991 film Mobile Suit Gundam F91. We'll pick up right where we left off last week, talking about the bugs. So let's get back to the action. Full speed ahead, Space Arc. But um, we jump back again to some banter between uh, Zabine and uh, Crossbone Vanguard pilots. And they're, they're discussing rumors of some type of new weapon that can kill large numbers of people. And it's called, you know, I think they say bugs or what's codenamed bug. So mm-hmm. I felt like that, the, the, the sort of lead up to the bugs was maybe something that was done better in the story. You know, this is something they competently did in F91. <laughs> yeah, this turned yeah. out to kind of be the main plot. Yeah, and to the Crossbone Vanguard's credit, you know, they, they're very good at keeping things a secret since nobody had any idea what bugs were unless you were directly working with them. But we'll get to that <laughs> near the end of the story. Corozo meets again with Cecily's mom and Theo, and without even moving, he kills Theo. Did you yeah. did you notice yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> I did. So Corozo somehow kills Theo. I would I was assuming it was poison of some sort. But did he um, drink or eat or I don't know. I, I don't I don't think there was any drinking or eating going on. Maybe it was like a well timed previous poisoning somehow or Yeah, I'm not really sure. We do find out later on that Corozo has some interesting abilities and I was thinking maybe that played into it Uh, but it wasn't super clear exactly how he kills Theo I mean maybe it's fleshed out a bit more in the novelization so that might be interesting to to find out but before he dies though Theo said some something interesting to Nadia like he made it seem like he was actually helping her and playing along with Corozo and the crossbone vanguard did you catch that I don't remember that part no. I I, I really remember him, or maybe he was lying to her, and he actually was with the Crossbow Vanguard since he had a, an evil laugh at the beginning of the story as they were <laughs> taking over the colony. But yeah, he did say something along the lines of, "I think like you know everything I'm doing is really to try to protect you and mm. Cecily." So maybe he was, maybe he was playing along more than we thought. But maybe he I, thought I, because yeah. he was getting Cecily into into a position of power. Um, yeah, but I'm not sure. Back at the space arc. We meet up with Seabook's mom, <laughs> and they just, they start discussing a bit about what makes the F91 different, how it has a biocomputer, and there's a biosensor in it. But I felt like the writing kind of fell apart here because it didn't really explain much to me what was so special about it. Did you grasp the uniqueness of the biocomputer and biosensor from what the characters were saying? I couldn't really... Yeah, so it just seemed like a more advanced version of... The cycle frame, you know, which itself was sort of a more advanced version of the biosensor from the Zeta Gundam. I, I think they just, it's further going on that idea of controlling a machine with your thoughts. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. The way they explained it didn't seem much different from the explanation of the cycle frame from Charge Counterattack. So you kind of just have to assume, okay, well, this is somewhat the next step, I guess. Although the cycle frame is definitely geared towards new types. I mean, this didn't. The use of the term new type in this film was interesting in that it didn't seem like new types were top of mind at first, but then all of a sudden, you know, everybody was new type by the end. Like there was a there was some line, I forget who said it, 
he was talking about new types from the from the one year warish era and he's like yeah you know there used to be these people named new types and they were just the most miserable lot of them all and i was like that's that's pretty fair because uh, all the you know all the new types generally across all the stories they, they do have pretty miserable psyches but and we go from people wondering what a new type is to at the very end of the story you know cecily clearly knows what a new type is all of a sudden so there was definitely some gaps there oh, um, God. again due to the pacing but I don't think that when they explain the F91, they, they don't talk about new types, right? They just say no. the bio computer, right? Pretty you know? much. It's got variable speed beam rifles. It's got a beam shield. And it can leave after images that actually have mass. Yep. So it's, it's very prototype. But at the same time, aside from, I don't know, it's armament, there's nothing too groundbreaking. Um Right. Yeah. Well, yes, it's, a, it's a miniature suit too, so you got that. I, well, let me just back up a bit. It is kind of brown, groundbreaking. So. <laughs> yeah. This is also the part where we see a lot of that, like, really aggressive Federation colonel guy who keeps like calling Seabook a new type and insisting oh, that yeah. he pilot the, the the Gundam. And I think he puts Seabook in the suit and he like kicks him. And he's yeah. just like, just go, 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 <laughs> pilot the suit, Seabook. Cosmo. Oh. I think his name was Cosmo. Oh really? Oh, okay. Yeah, but or no, maybe not. I don't know. But uh, but yeah, we meet that guy. He's he's kind of more of a blumbering, kind of loud idiot than uh, an actual threat to Seabook. I imagine over a series, he would have been kind of an interesting character, maybe a a jerk with a heart of gold or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. He was also part of that that conversation where they said, "Well, no one else. We have no one else to pilot this, so you have to do it." And I was kind of like, "What about the other guy who actually yeah. knows how to pilot a mobile suit and he beard it?" Yeah. Why, why didn't he he get in? He's actually uh, an adult and like a, a soldier. I don't know. Who knows? The, the gut couldn't fit like the <laughs> the, the seatbelt. <laughs> Can't get in a, a pilot suit. So uh, the weight limit. Yeah. Anyways, we jump back to the Crossbone Vanguard at this point, and we see Carozo talking to his uh, his right hand man. That's got like a kind of a Prince Valiant haircut, <laughs> and they're talking about the bugs again. They don't show us what bugs are. But they say, oh, okay, you know, once we're done with the test, uh, the initial test here, we're going to uh, use bugs to destroy humans on the moon and Earth. And I was like, oh, boy, I didn't catch that the first two times I saw this. So I think that implies that they must have thousands, if not tens of thousands or more bugs in reserve, right? Ready to drop on the moon and Earth? Oh, I mean, or they're in the process of making them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... Say what you will about Zeon, but Zeon won't wipe out everybody on Earth and the Moon. <laughs> yeah, Zeon, you know, they had, they had a base on the Moon for a while. So there you go. Um, we also see this character named Anna Maria in the dub, at least. Yeah. I mean, the sub, at least. Yeah. Um, she she was a Crossbone Vanguard pilot who was clearly in love with Zabine, but the moment she saw Cecily spending so much time with Zabine getting such close tutoring and pilot training, she decided to affect to defect. She just had enough. Yep. And she takes her mobile suit with her, which was one of those Berga or Vigna variants. Yeah, and she no, she, she yeah. had the dog the doggy iris. Oh the okay. Do, she's, the the gi iris. I don't know how to pronounce it. She has got that one. And um they painted khaki and it looks <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah, you're right. She had this great like green Oh, look and color scheme before and then they repaint it to this just awful I, I don't know i had a problem with we may be getting a little bit into the mobile suits now but i had a problem with pretty much 
the whole color palette for all of the Federation suits in this in this show. I've decided, yeah, or in this Except film. First, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it was just they were all they all had this like weird tan look to them. Like it, yeah. like normally I feel like a Gundam is pretty white, and I think that while the F nine one was was very white, the the G cannon in this show had a weird. It wasn't like white. It was like off white. Just uh, there was a lot of off white, and it just it seemed really awkward to me. And then when they painted the Anna Maria's suit, the khaki, like you said, it just it added to the off white just weirdness. I thought on the Federation side, maybe that was intentional, but it, I don't know. It just didn't didn't work for me. No, you can't paint mobile suits khaki. You can't paint them tan shades because it just looks bad. It looked okay in Eighth MS team because they were in the desert, but we're in space now. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. The backdrop matters, right? It's all right. It's kind of relative. Yeah, color palette rules. And that's <laughs> and that's and that's also why we why we hated Akihiro's suit from and from Iron Blooded Orphans because it's so ugly. Yeah, that that too. Speaking of ugly, or the opposite of ugly, I thought Crossbone Vanguard ships look pretty cool each time we see them. They have a very intimidating look to them. They're like purple and green and gray, and yeah, I thought they were one of the more cool designs that we had in this. Uh, somewhat lackluster movie yeah um, i agree i think yeah. i think all the crossbow vanguard designs from the ships to the mobile suits i thought they were all pretty good i really enjoyed them i think out of the designs you know if you're comparing the two sides in the show the crossbow vanguard s- stole the show from a yeah. design perspective in, in my opinion I, I don't know what popular opinion is but on the on the third rewatch i was like oh that does those are pretty neat we, sh- we should see more of those what I also liked as the story kind of reached, you know, its climax is we finally see the F91 like in full combat. So mm-hmm. we see the variable speed rifle actually work. And the, the variable speed beam rifle, from my head cannon, it's a normal beam rifle, but the particles coming out of it, they start changing speeds at which they exit the rifle. And somehow the beam shield of the Den and Zons can't really handle that change in speed. So the beam's able to go through them and destroy them. So we see some cool images of the F91 being able to, you know, disable or outright destroy a bunch of Denon Zons that decided to take it on. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I wish they had done more with the variable speed beam rifle. I thought it was it was a pretty neat concept and it was a little bit underused. And Seabook turned out to be like a great pilot. He was basically just killing everybody. Those Denon Zons didn't really have too much of a chance. No, and they were an elite unit too. I think they were called like the Black Guard or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the Black um, Squadron. Yeah. yeah, led by Zabine. And I think at some point, like the rest of Crossbone Vanguard, like assumes they were destroyed to the last man, even though they fly back. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what did you think of how the variable speed beam rifle looked? I thought it was. That's a chunky rifle, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little chunky. Yeah. Agree. It didn't. The F91 is like a weird design to me. Yeah, it's kind of it, like that weird grill on the chest. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to the last few weeks, we, we've talked about F90, and we talked about Silhouette Formula F91, and I remember when we were you know, reading and, and comparing those to, to F91, I said I liked the F91 more than the suits in those, than the Gundams in those um, series, and I think that's still true based on the original designs, but I don't know. In, in this movie, I didn't, I didn't think the F91 looked that great. I mean, you're right. The, the variable speed beam rifle was pretty chunky, because it was so chunky, it looked kind of clunky when he used it. I wish he had used the variable speed more than the normal beam rifle and then and the bazooka. Because they had him carry around the beam rifle and the bazooka quite a bit. And they didn't use the variable speed until definitely the last quarter of the movie. 
in, in any serious capacity. I completely agree with you about the, the design of the F91. It's almost better as a model. <laughs> yeah, that's a good yeah, so so a, I know I a very I said rare I, situation. <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> so I know I said in our F ninety discussion that the F ninety didn't really do anything for me, but if you go look at the Master Grade F ninety that just came out, it looks great. Like it is a great looking suit. And on the F nine one side, there's a new statue that just came out of the F nine one for the anniversary called uh, the Gundam Metal Build Gundam Formula 91 uh, Chronicle White version. It looks amazing. I don't know if it was just the animation style, but I think if we could see the F91 reanimated today, I think it would look a lot cooler. I'm going to send you this right here. Okay. Oh, boy. (laughs) That looks great. There's so much detail on this. It's like... I don't know. It's almost like the designer of the new Gundam decided to update the F91, right? <laughs> it just... God, it looks beautiful. And, yeah. and and look at... The VSBRs look great in this version. Yeah. They definitely look less clunky than they did in the animation. In the animation, it looks like he was holding like a, a Hershey's um, cookies and cream bar, you know, <laughs> and just blasting away Denon's on. <laughs> and, um, and one of the best parts of the F91's design is the heat fins. The, the, the disperse the yeah. heat from the, um, the shoulders, right? Yeah, from the shoulders. And we don't really see those until the very end of the movie. I, right. I just, I think that's such a shame because, you know, the, the shoulder pads are very early 90s, late 80s. Uh, they're, they're pretty big. But when you put the fins out, it looks a lot better. Yeah, it looks pretty cool, actually. And I'm not sure if having the after images somehow made the animation not as crisp as it could have been. But F91 does not look as nice as we think it would for a standalone Gundam movie. I think I actually like Char's Counterattack's animation better than F91's, even though F91 is three years newer. Yeah, Char's might not be as crisp. I think F91 is a little bit more crisper, but Char's has um, a charm to it. (laughs) (laughs) A simple charm to it. But yeah, F91, not the best looking uh, as it was animated. Okay. Was so back to Sabine we... and yeah. Anna Maria. That, that, I, I really yeah. liked Sabine. I thought he was a cool character. I thought he was one of the best characters in the movie. An honorable enemy, I'll say that. He, he definitely was a, a cool guy. Very much a Char stand-in, right? Yeah. Obvi- it was way too obvious. But um, <laughs> yeah, cool guy. He, he didn't really seem to take um, the whole nobility thing too seriously. I think he made a few comments, right? They were a little dismissive of it. A little bit. I th- yeah, I think he yeah. was more adept at reading a situation and knowing what was going on. I mean, he by the time the movie's over, he's the only one that really knew exactly what happened Yeah, on, on the yeah. Crossbone Vanguard side. Also, I think at this point in the story, Cecily separates from Zavine and like their group, right? And she goes back with Seabook. But yes, this is yes, this is yeah. the third or fourth decision by Cecily that makes no sense. Yeah. Because during the battle where Anne Maria defects and she fights Sabine, uh, Zabine ends up killing her. But during that battle, Cecily, you know, gets separated from Zabine and that gives Seabook a chance to talk to her. And they, so they finally talk and Seabook's like, why are you doing this? And Cecily's like, well, I didn't, I thought you guys were all dead and I didn't think I really had any other options. So it kind of seemed like a good idea. And I was just like, that's it. That's your justification. And, and she's like, yeah, I didn't really want to do it, but I, I just, you know, figured why not, or I, I might as well do it. I mean, did that, that was pretty much what she said, right? There wasn't much beyond it. 
Pretty much, yeah. I think she's she told Seabook, right? Um, she wasn't really in the Crossbone Vanguard the whole time, so she was playing along. Oh, did she? That wasn't as clear in the dub then. Maybe there's some oh. translation issues there. But anyway, she's like, okay, well, I'll just go back with you then since you're here. <laughs> he takes her back. And then, and, you know, now Cecily is defected as well. So Cecily's like a domesticated, like, dog or cat, right? She's, she's kind of just loyal to whoever she's nearby. Whatever humans are happen to be in the room, she'll, like, wag her <laughs> tail and, like, go along with whatever's happening. <laughs> Yep. At this point in the story, uh, Zabine gets back to the Crossbone Vanguard after everybody assumed his whole unit got wiped out. And I think Corozo finds out that Barrett didn't come back with him. And he says something really interesting. He says, well, if she died in battle, the old man won't complain. What did you take that to mean, Brian? That like, I took it to mean Meitzer would be happy she died gloriously in battle, so now she can kind of be presumably immortalized as a crossbone vanguard martyr or hero to the people i think that's probably on the right track i mean there was that one scene earlier in the film where meitzer said a girl who cannot control her emotions is no daughter of mine and so he he clearly has this idea that you know she should be very uh what's the word i'm looking for like steadfast in in what in what she's standing for right as as the queen of crossbow vanguard so yeah i think you're right i mean if she if she goes out there in the name of crossbow vanguard and dies in battle then she stood up for the cause and even though she fell she fell for the cause and so i think carozo is saying you know if (laughs) if she died in battle then then great you know she she lived up to Meitzer's expectations but if she deserted or she just kind of gave up then he's you know he's never going to hear the end of it so right so also about this time in battle sadly we lose another character Brigitte gets killed mm-hmm. yeah yeah well this is also when we meet the bugs right yeah actually the crossbow well not even the whole crossbow vanguard pretty much just Carozo. Carozo is pretty much the only one that designed and knew about the bugs he decides to test them on frontier one and, oh, boy, these things were more brutal than I remember, Brian. <laughs> they were. <laughs> right? I mean, wow, the humanity. They, like, cut through cars that have people inside them. They they kill, um, you know, that one loudmouth Federation guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they kill people in the shelters. Yeah, the one they, in the shelter was particularly brutal because I think the big, like, the normal bug released a smaller bug that got into yeah. the shelter. And then that bug ended up rolling over to uh, some like a family that was huddled up and, and blew up and blew them up like you know self-destructed kind of thing which was just terrifying yeah yeah there's really no escape from the bugs they're very well designed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I must say though that they don't seem to do too well against mobile suits i think it's probably because they don't have ranged weapons they're yeah if you're going to take down bugs you need mobile suits so I, i'm not sure the crossbone vanguard thought that far ahead <laughs> yeah yeah, that, that whole bug scene, it, it started out very brutal, and then it, it got kind of silly, in my opinion. So it was brutal when they were destroy- when they were killing the civilians. It was pretty sad when, when Birgit or Bearded died. He, you know, he, he started fending off the bugs, but he eventually got overwhelmed. His heavy gun, which he was in, the, the mobile suit, it lasted a really long time, because the bugs sort of cut off all of his limbs except one, so he was kind of flying around just with one beam saver and like wa- waving it back and forth, trying to yes. kill the bugs. 
spinning it. He was able to spin it. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and so, but he eventually was overwhelmed, and they the bugs got bearded, which was a pretty sad death, given that he was a pretty good pilot and a pretty level headed person up to this point in the film. I I really liked his character. He would have fit nicely into like the the Ryu or the uh, uh, Slegger role if the film had been expanded into fifty episodes. Yeah. Definitely. But then, and then we got this weird scene where Seabook and Cecily were basically like, "Okay, well, we better kill all the bugs," and they like <laughs> flew together and they started spinning their beam sabers, and all the bugs just kind of like rushed into them, and all the bugs died because they they were just rushing into all the twirly sabers. I don't know. That was really weird to me. Did you? What did you think? I guess the only way my brain could kind of explain it away is that the bugs are designed to kill pretty much unarmed civilians so when they switch to fighting actual mobile suits they do what the only thing they can do and fly straight at you (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's not an anti uh mobile suit weapon they can't really go toe-to-toe with mobile suits they're they're doing their best and they're really only built to kill unarmed civilians in a brutal atrocity (laughs) during this bug fight that's when we get more clarity that maybe there are some shenanigans afoot at the crossbone vanguard because cecily says Oh, there are many factions in the Crossman Vanguard that were, and that the bugs were made by Carozo, and that Zabine and her grandfather knew nothing. And I was yeah. like, "That's you knew a lot. You apparently know a lot about the Crossman Vanguard, given you've only been there for like I don't know a few days, max, Three days right, or something like that." Yeah, yeah, I thought that was weird. So I was like, "Carozo is he essentially planning a coup? Is Mitzer more or less just some senile old man that can't really run the show?" I, I had a lot of questions, you know, maybe mites are actually new and they just insulated Vera from what was actually happening. We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I, have a, I particularly have a question because of something that happens at the end, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But Zabine clearly didn't know. No. Um, and he was not again, going along with it. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was not. But again, this is one of those things where, you know, had you had 50 episodes, there would this would have been a long simmering sort of plot point that would have been explained, I think. Like, I think in, in the series version of this, I think Cecily stays with the Crossbone Vanguard for 10 to 20 episodes. Well, I wouldn't be surprised for, who knows, half the series maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> but what we do know is that at this point in the story, Brian, a mobile suit appears. <laughs> I mean, sorry, a mobile armor appears. Yes, because, so Cecily takes out the the, the uh, reactor that's, that's powering the bugs. And so Zabine's team sees this and they, they head after her. But also Carozo sees this and says he will go out himself in the in, in the mobile armor, which is called the Reflesia, because he says it's family business. <laughs> yeah. And I thought this was interesting that, okay, mobile armors haven't been built since the one-year war, right? You had transformable mobile suits, which could kind of have like a mobile armor version. Well, yeah, it was it was was pretty much just a mobile suit in a transformed form. Oh yeah, transformed. Yeah, that's yeah for sure. But there was also like the Psycho Gundams. You don't count those mobile armors. But they could turn into mobile suits that were just large, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty lazy transformation, right? But um, yeah, but getting back to my point, I I feel like the lore explanation for this would be that Corozo, being his age, he was probably he probably remembers mobile armors. Like, I'm not sure what exact age he would be during the one year war, but maybe he ran into them or he at least read mm-hmm. about them. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to build my own. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But what what I don't like about Rafflesia, I think it's a terrible design. It looks like a flower. You know, why couldn't they pick like a skull or something to go with the crossbone vanguard, right? Or a skeleton or I don't know, like a, a skull hand, something. But the Rafflesia is just one of the worst mobile armor designs I've seen. And maybe what makes it the worst is that it has an exposed cockpit because Corozo sits in like a fishbowl exposed to space. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't actually mind the Rafflesia design except for the exposed cockpit. That that part's really dumb. Okay. I, I'll agree with you there. If they got rid of that part, it would have made more sense. But yeah, him, him in the exposed cockpit, it's not great. And I think Rafflesia might be the name of a flower. Don't quote me on that. So I felt like aesthetic-wise, that really clashes with the Crossbone Vanguard. There's no reason a flower would be chosen as kind of like their what I assume under Corozo would have been like their their lead, um, you know, combat unit. I took it that they wanted that design because of the tentacles. So I guess we should state what the design is. It's kind yeah. of this sort of flower slash squid looking thing that has a lot of tentacles that Corozo kind of controls with his thoughts, I guess. Um, right. He's a cyber new type. And, oh, God, this is when the writing just starts throwing things at you. <laughs> He's a cyber new type. And his helmet has, like, these sort of LED wires, like dozens of them that connect yep. to the Rafflesia in his cockpit. And that's how he controls it. He doesn't need to use his hands at all. And he says weird things during the battle with Cecily and Seabook. He says things like he was ordered to kill like nine tenths of humanity. Yes, and yes. I, I See, there's like, lo- there's yeah. a lot to unpack here. Look, <laughs> the, first of all, this battle's weird, right? So at this point, Cecily and Seabook have taken out the bugs, so they go out of the colony. And they see the Rafflesia coming at him, and they decide, okay, well, we clearly have to kill this thing. Cecily's like, yeah, that's that's Corozo. He's the real enemy. Um, my my grand my grandfather knew nothing, and so she rushes in like immediately, which is a, probably the worst thing you could do to this mobile armor that has all these tentacles and stuff. And while right. while she does shoot him quite a bit, she gets gets a few good shots in <laughs> that at least on the surface create some explosions. The Rafflesia is kind of unharmed for the most part. And then he kind of, he slices off half of her suit's head, like an arm and maybe a leg, I don't remember. And then Seabook, Seabook in classic Tomino fashion, he's like, Cecily, get out of the way, I'll handle it. Like, like the man is here, I will do it. And that's when we get to start seeing the after images. But then Cecily is like heavily damaged, but she's still fighting the, fighting Corozo. Corozo, like he has her pinned down, like wrapped up in the tentacle things. And he, he rips off her, her cockpit, and Corozo gets out of his own cockpit. But but like you said, he still has those LED wires connected to his head. So those, those LED wires must be like 30 feet long or something because they stay connected to him as he goes out and, and, and talks to Cecily. And so then, with, th- then that's without when Without that a normal suit. <laughs> yeah, which which I guess he's a fully robotic at this point because I pu- I put down he had to be a cyborg because this makes yeah. no sense. <laughs> agree, agree, totally agree. Because then that's when this weird conversation happens. She Cecily shoots at him and it hits like his arm, if I remember right, or or his his hand, and he he shows no concern that he just got shot. 
and I, that's that's what I took it to mean that that he was more more yeah. machine than man at this point. And then she starts making fun of him. She's like, "You can't do anything without that mask." And he and then he says, "I can control machines with my mind, and yet you still look down on me." And then <laughs> and then Cecily's like, "Well, you're just rebelling because Mitsa made you into a cyber new type." And at that point, I'm like, "What? How does Cecily know that? She was away for like two to three days." Did she know that from a long time ago? Was she withholding this the whole time? I I got the feeling throughout the show, throughout the film, that she didn't even know what a new type was, and now all of a sudden she knows that he is one, let, let alone a a normal new type, but a cyber new type. And then that's when Carozo goes into the whole, oh, I was ordered to kill nine tenths of the population, so I had to change my ego was expanded to do this, blah blah blah. And I was like, wow, man, we are we are condensing episodes worth of of exposition into this one, into this one conversation. <laughs> In, in space in the heat of the battle which out of our cockpits which is something you should never do it doesn't make sense though because if Meitzer doesn't know about the bugs who ordered him to kill nine tenths of humanity yes that's exactly what I wrote down so he yeah he he explicitly where did said, these orders come from yes he said Meitzer told me to kill nine tenths of, of the population but if he doesn't know about the bugs you're right that 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 whole thing doesn't make sense Yes. And okay, this is clearly, you know, the end battle of the story, folks. And if you recall, at the beginning of the movie, we got introduced to Lord Dorel. He hasn't shown up in an hour or more. He the the no. first villain the first villain we meet in a villainous looking mobile suit, who's clearly a leader, doesn't show up at the final battle. You're right. You're right. Well he he was there, but he was always like not in the same area. I think when they were fighting the F nine one, he like pulls back, right, or something like that. I don't. Remember yeah, or he was just doing right. something else. Like he was massacring the Federation's troops. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, he he really took it to him for sure. Do you think Darrell knew about Carozo's plan? No, I don't, because I feel like he would have like wanted to be involved or something like that. But no. <laughs> yeah, this was clearly a very Carozo and like his right hand man plan. That they, yeah. they, they were essentially the only people running it. I would be surprised if anybody on Carozo's ship knew exactly what the bugs were either. Yeah, speaking of did, people, but, speaking yeah. of people on Carozo's ship, so Zabine <laughs> goes, he flies over to Carozo's ship, and he's like, "Hey, hey guys, where's Iron Mask at? I need to talk to him." Uh, and the guy goes, "Well, uh, he's out there in that thing, you know, the Reflesia or whatever." And but uh, that I can't tell you what that's about. And, and Zabine's like, "What do you mean you can't tell me?" Yeah, like, you know, I'm Zabine. I'm, is this how Iron Mask operates, I think he says? And so then the the guy on the ship, they must have agreed to, like, meet in person or whatever. So they get out and they talk. And Zabine is like, well, if I didn't know about the Reflesia, then Mitzit didn't either. So he just, like, shoots the guy, Carozo's, like, ship captain or whatever. So that guy's done. So this is when you know that Zabine and Carozo are, are definitely not on the same <clears throat> same wavelength. Zabine did not know about the bugs. But Zabine clearly believes that Me- that uh, Maitza didn't know about the bugs either. But then, again, going back to the thing that Carozo said, how can that be true if Maitza gave him the order to kill nine-tenths of the population? So the only way this makes sense is if Maitza is actually on Carozo's side and Zabine's wrong about his belief in what Maitza does or does not know. That kind of makes it, the most sense, yeah. Maybe Zabine is the only good guy in, in, in the Crossbow Vanguard, let alone Durrell. We don't, we don't actually know... Is Dorel with Zabine or is he with Carozo? We're we're never really told. I would see I, I could see Dorel going along with the um 
the bugs. But Zabine, he looks like a hired gun. So if it seems almost like since he's not an aristocrat, he wouldn't go along with it. Yeah. Oh, and that was that was also part of uh, Anna Marie's beef with him that she she believed that he was clearly trying to marry into the family. Yeah, but I mean, can you blame him? <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. No. Might not move up. Something else I noticed just now. The Rafflesia relies on tentacles with like beam weapons on it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's been decades since mobile armors have had bits. And Carozo didn't think to put bits on his mobile, <laughs> mobile armor, which would have almost dramatically improved his odds because fighting a mobile armor with bits, or really any mobile suit that uses bits, is hell. Right, because they just come from all different angles. They're very tiny and hard to hit. There's so many to keep track of, and he his he opted for tentacles. <laughs> it does seem a, a bit of a step backwards. I agree, particularly with with the whole you know bio uh, computer, which I don't know if the Reflegia has a bio computer, but Carozo did say, "Well, I, I have." He, there was that one point where he like reaches out to Cecily and he's like, I also have thought control powers too. And I was like, okay. And so that, that does seem like a natural fit for the bits. So, so you're right. Going back to a, a wire guided or, or a wire connected system is, is a little odd. I mean, I think at that point it was just more of a, an aesthetic choice for the, for the film, but yeah, well at this point in the story, our heroes uh, managed to defeat the Rafflesia we we also see after this victory near the end that Zabine really is a good guy because him and some of his mobile suits fly up to the space arc and they can clearly destroy it since it's not only, you know, not firing at them, but it doesn't have its own mobile suits to protect it. But they, they tell him it's a refugee ship and he just takes them at their word and lets them fly away. <laughs> yeah. He also lets Seabook fly away. Um, yeah. Yeah, goes up to see, he goes, so he he flies over to Seabook, who's in at this point a an F nine one without a uh, without a leg and maybe an arm as well, a little beat up from the battle with the Rafflesia. And Seabook uh, is frantically looking for Cecily because she got blown away in the explosion. And Zabine kind of says, "Oh, he he figures out that pilot of the F nine one, you know, destroyed the Rafflesia, and he says thank you for your trouble, and he and he flies away. So because uh, yeah. clearly Zabine wanted Carozo dead at this point as well. Right. And well, at this point, so many people have died. He's kind of like the only ranking officer left, right? It's him yeah, and Darrell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at this point, I think Darrell was already like, all right, I'm going home. And then, but like, and like he just he wasn't he wasn't on the scene at all. No, I, I don't really know that we even <laughs> needed him in the movie. I mean, couldn't you have just put Zabine in his place for the most part? Pretty much. But again, this might have been, you know, they, they wanted to establish characters maybe so they could continue the series. But at this point, the movie essentially ends. Cecily gets found by Seabook, and v- it, doing very new typey things, right? Um, yeah, like find her, yeah, find her with the, your heart or whatever, your mind or something. Yeah. <laughs> they find her floating in space, and they're reunited. And the end says, "This is only the beginning," and it's not the beginning, Brian, because <laughs> this story was not continued in any way. Well, in animation, not not any direct way, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I mean, at, at this point, the you're right. The, the film ends, and it, there is literally, like you said, on the screen, it says this is only the beginning, and I know why they put that there because they were planning to do a sequel, you know. And if you're Tamino, you're thinking, well, this is what we want to go forward with. We want to expand on this. So so boom, they put it up there. But then, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, we never got a film to work that. 
that relates to it again. You know, we got Victory Gundam, but that takes place further in the future and isn't really connected. So, yeah, I mean, it was the beginning, but it was also the end. So it's not a false statement. <laughs> um, it's just not complete. But the story is is continued, sort of. We do see some of these characters again in Mobile Suit Crossbone Gundam, uh, which is a manga that uh, Tomino had a hand in creating, at least. he's not. I don't think he's a direct writer, but... Um, the writer uses a lot of Tomino's notes and I'm sure talks to Tomino about it. So, Well, what's, what's interesting about at least the story is from what I read, what happens immediately after mm. sounds like it would make a great series. What I've read is that there's essentially a civil war in Cosmo Babylonia. Cecily goes back and essentially denounces everything Meitzer believes in. Meitzer dies almost immediately after F91. Mm. And it's a civil war. I don't. I think Lord Dorel probably leads a side that wants to stay in aristocracy, and she leads a side that you know is anti-aristocracy. Mm. They battle it out. They lose control of the colony, and you know, years later, we lead into Crossbone Gundam. You know, given that Dorel and Zabine survived, and, uh, and obviously Cecily and or, or Barra and Seabook uh, survived, you know, I, I am looking forward to seeing what happens to to these characters in Crossbone Gundam. Yeah, I think overall the film had potential, uh, at least from a story perspective. But then the the pacing and the the, sp- the speed with which the revelations happened really did a number on this film. Yeah, it's almost a pity because the mobile suit de- designs for uh, Crossbone Vanguard were great. They clearly had a very unique flavor. Maybe not too far off from Xeon, but it was pretty interesting, anyways. They laid down some interesting groundwork as far as like this possible Federation conspiracy that try to help along the Crossbone Vanguard get started. It would have been interesting to see what other Gundams might have appeared in the story. If we would have gone to like the moon to see like maybe a, a bug drop operation on the moon or Earth, maybe at the climax of whatever season uh, ending they would have wanted. But we never got there and we'll never get there. The continuation of Crossbone just goes into a manga series and it kind of dies there. That's about it. You know, maybe Crossbone Gundam is on the list of things that that Bandai Sunrise plans to animate for the next 100 project. I mean, seems pretty likely to me. I don't know. I I think it's coming. Maybe not, you know, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but maybe five years. I think after they get Hathaway's Flash, you might hear some rumblings. Or maybe not crossbone gundam right away but they are you know they just released Massacre f90 recently they're releasing some f9 this that f91 uh, you know statue i talked about i think there's at least two versions of the f91 in master grade form so they are showing this this era a little bit of love and you know they did announce the the uc next 100 project i don't know you know it could could be headed for a, an f90 kind of series to, to kind of re- refresh interest in this in this era and then you know hit us with the crossbone Gundam. I think the big thing you'd have to ask yourself, Isaac, is would it be worth it to redo Gundam F91 in some form? If you do, this needs to be such a well-done facelift, such a, um, a well-written story that you'd almost want to do... You, you need to unicorn it, essentially. That's really, I think, the only way to redeem it but I don't think it's worth doing it. This was a mediocre movie. It had some interesting visuals, but overall, not great writing, not great pacing, forgettable characters. Gundam by the numbers in not the best way. 
not worth rewatching too much. And some things you're better left to just leave behind and maybe move on with a, a newer story. I, I pretty much agree with that. I think the only issue is then how do you get people to buy into Crossbone Gundam? You turn that manga series into its own OVA or you do another F series or crossbone series that probably happened at the same time or in a different area. Do you create these series that you're talking about, the fall or the split as a lead into crossbone Gundam? You could, you know, there's material for it, or at least it's referenced in uh, crossbone Gundam. I feel like it almost might be wiser to pick up after the manga and make your own story from there because you just have so much more flexibility and so much more room, you know, after crossbone Gundam, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, but overall I am, I'd like our listeners to um, comment their own thoughts on F91. Did you like it? Did you not? And this stuck out to you because as far as I'm concerned, this is, um, yeah, definitely probably the weakest Gundam movie. And well, actually, no, I won't say that. Double whoa, whoa. Had its horrible, whoa, whoa. horrible I know, movie. <laughs> I know you've watched Gundam Double O. Yeah, <laughs> that horrible, that, that train wreck. But I'll say this this was an attempt to stick the landing. They failed, they didn't stick the landing. And overall, M for mediocre. While I agree with the conclusion, I think I'm more just disappointed because I did see the potential. I think I, I, I see what Tamino was going for. I, I think it had potential. And then just it's a function of circumstance, this is what we ended up with. And yeah. I, you know, I don't think there's many Gundam fans out there where Gundam F91 is their favorite piece of Gundam media. So, Nope. But let me uh, ask you this, Brian. How many Haros would you give Gundam F91? Oh man. <clears throat> well, I would give the first <laughs> I would give the first 30 40 minutes a solid seven and a half out of 10 horrors. <laughs> I would give the next rest of the film a solid, you know, uh oh man. It's got to be four and a half. Okay. Brian, how about for the whole movie? The full, full 2 hours. Full 2 hours is probably a 5 out of 10. Okay. Wow. Well, look, I mean, if if you're a Gundam fan, you got to watch the movie. Um, you have to watch it, but you also have to recognize that it's it's a bit of a half-baked idea and the execution was uh was less than well done. Yeah, and, and that's why I said it's helpful to understand that going into the film cuz I Yeah. I think it would be particularly bad for someone who's maybe not a huge Gundam fan, like maybe like someone who just goes to an anime convention, right? And all of a sudden, like they go into this screening room that's showing Gundam F91. They're never gonna watch another Gundam series after that if they've never seen Gundam before. They're gonna no. be like, "What the hell oh. is that?" This is a bad introduction to Gundam. <laughs> yeah, which is ironic, given that you know it was supposed to kick off a new a new generation of Gundam. But I, I just think the result that we ended up with is probably not the one that everyone wanted. It's just unfortunate, I think. So. I hate giving it such a low rating, but yeah, I don't, after the movie, I was like, wow, that was, that was an interesting ride for sure. Yeah. Not, not maybe in a good way. Um, so I think I'm going to stick with my five. What, what about you? How many horrors would you say? I completely agree with you at the halfway point. You just going to have to power through and um, see it through. But on my five point scale, I would give Gundam F91 two out of five horrors. Yeah. Okay. We're pretty aligned. It earned it. <laughs> Yeah, 
<laughs> Without those Denon's ons, it would have dropped to a one. <laughs> and again, like I said, I, I think I'm uh, looking forward to Crossbone Gundam. I think there's potential there. I think I'm just disappointed that it's sort of hidden behind all this extra crap you have to wade through first, right? If you if you want to find and read this thing that everyone loves called a crossbone gun, you really need to watch Gundam F91 and then decide to keep going and then go go try to find the manga, you know, which is not even officially translated. So I I just think that's that's a large barrier there. Yeah, well, if you're a fan of F91 or you recently saw it, comment below, tell us what you think. Maybe you love it. Maybe you defend it. Maybe it's your favorite Gundam anime ever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, but maybe it is. So comment below and tell us all about it. And maybe leave us a comment about what we think is probably the bright spot of this of this film is the mobile suit designs. What was your favorite design on the Federation side? Maybe you were a fan of the uh, of the the heavy gun, which was sort of the GM replacement, or or the F nine one itself with its with its cool you know beam fins and after image attack and the variable speed beam rifles. Or maybe you're like Isaac and really love the Crossbone Vanguard showings. Maybe you really enjoy the Denonzans, the Vignaginas. You know, they were, they were pretty unique, and I thought that was a, a bright spot in the show. So let us know what your favorite Crossbone Vanguard design was, your Federation design, and any other thoughts that you have on Gundam F91. It was certainly an interesting ride. It was fun, if not a little jarring, to rewatch it after all these years. Yeah. You know what I want, Brian? Mm. I want a master grade bug. <laughs> 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 a master grade bug seems like something that would be ripe for 3D printing. Ooh, also forgivable too for like the flaws in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't have to be completely perfect. So I bet I mean, someone out there has has a on like Shapeways or, or whatever that website's called. Um, I bet I bet there's like a formula for a bug. I'd want to have like a little hatch too that like lets out the little baby bugs, so I can, <laughs> so I can attack people inside their living rooms. <laughs> so brutal, so brutal. <laughs> Just flies in and shoots them with a little laser. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, stay safe this week. Do not get attacked by a bug. Wear a mask so you don't catch a bug. Oh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll catch you next week. Or maybe you're like Isaac and really love the Crossbone Vanguard showings uh, that, you know, the, the, the uh, Vignagina and the uh, Berga something names. Yeah. Oh, boy. Bandai. <laughs> Simple names, please. <laughs>